welcome tonight. I'm so glad that you decided to join us online. And if you're watching later, I'm so glad that you're watching the message tonight as well. Well, it looks like it's going to be a while before we know who the next president of the United States is. But I pray that you will be at peace, that you will know that God is sovereign, that God is in control of the course of world events. And tonight, I'm going to go to my bed. I'm going to go to my bed tired. <laughs> I'm going to go to my bed ready to sleep. And, but I'm going to go to bed at peace because I know the Lord is in control. He's got this. And this afternoon, I really, around about 1 o'clock, I just kind of recalibrated and just asked the Lord, give me some direction. What should I say? Because I know a lot of folk are concerned or worried. And, you know, are we going to see more rioting in the streets? We saw demonstrations last night that turned violence in some places. And even right here in the metro area in downtown Detroit, there are protests that are going on. But as far as I know, at this point, they're still peaceful and there's a lot of anger. So I'd like to take you to the word of the Lord, and to the best of my know-how, I believe this is what God wants to say to us tonight. And I just simply entitled this message, Living by the Spirit. And this evening, before we get to the word, I want you to just think for just a moment about how much that God loves you, how much that God loves this world, and that God loves his church and I want you to remind yourself that the founding of the United States is so very different. God has a plan for our nation. <clears throat> I believe that with all of my heart. <clears throat> so let's be at peace. Let's look at the Word of God from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law, speaking of the Old Testament law, there is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And I'd love for you to underline or highlight in the app or in your Bible one tonight that last sentence. Since we are living by the Spirit, that's what Christians do. That's what passionate followers of Christ do. We're not living by our sinful desires that, are, that, are, that was referenced in the above verse. We are living by the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The story of our creation and the creation of our world is one of the most beautiful stories in all of history of mankind. When I read and the book of Genesis, and it's one of those books that I've often said to our congregation and said to many friends, that unless you understand those first three chapters of Genesis, you really can't put the whole story of the Bible together. But when God created the world, and he created Adam and put him in this world, if you'll notice, he was all saying, it's good. It's very good. But suddenly there's a point in the story where God says, it's not good. And that's kind of a shocking thought. Now, I, I read it so much as a child growing up, it never really surprised me. But later, as I began to just work through the book of Genesis and what the book of Genesis was teaching and saying and what we learned about God, suddenly I was arrested by the very thought, how could anything created by a perfect God in a perfect world and a human being who had never sinned, how could anything not be good? But it was God's way of helping us understand that we're created in the image of God. 
So God created Eve and brought Eve to Adam. And when Adam looked at Eve and he saw her, it was though it was the first poem in the Bible, by the way. So, so it was a man that was the first poet. And Adam looks at Eve and he goes, oh my goodness, I, I see myself. In other words, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He didn't go, Eve is bone of her bone and flesh of her flesh. The word of God inspired left for us, she's bone of my bone and she's flesh of my flesh. In other words, God had created us in his image. It's not that God failed to create us great. Don't miss this. It's not that God failed to create us great. It's that God created us very great and he created us very good and he created us in his image with the capacity for relationship. And he wasn't saying that Eve was himself. My grandson, Davin, Becky had taken Davin and Nolan to a, a park in Savannah, Georgia, and Davin all of a sudden came upon a mirror, and he looked into the mirror, and he stopped, and he looked at, at my wife, and he says, Grandma, look, another Davin. And that's kind of what Adam was saying. She's flesh of my flesh. She's bone of my bone. She was herself. And what the point I want you to get here is we don't really know ourselves until we get to know somebody else. We were created for relationship. And by creating us for relationship, what God taught us there is that Adam could never fully know himself until he knew his wife Eve. And you and I can never fully know one another until we have these honest relationships. But I think you'd agree with me tonight, wouldn't you? That relationships are hard work. Good relationships are hard work. Good marriages are hard work. Good churches are hard work. Good business relationships are hard work. It takes a lot of time because there's always misunderstanding because of sin. There's always hurt. There's always pain. Sometimes there's an in intentional hurt. Sometimes there's unintentional hurt. Sometimes there's cultural misunderstandings. And I could just make a laundry list of things that make relationships hard work. You see, there's a problem with relationships. And there's so much to look at tonight that I really don't have time. But I think it will help you understand what's going on in our nation right now. The next verse is a summary of all the problems in relationships. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26 together. Let us not become conceited or provoked. That's a, that's a Greek word that literally means to challenge. I'll get to that in a minute. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Well, this verse shows us a couple of very important psychological human relationship issues. And aren't you glad that the best book on psychology is the Bible? The first problem is the problem of superiority. People who have these superiority complexes, they're always provoking or challenging one other people. They're looking down on them. They're lording their authority over them. Jesus said of us, he said, you will not be like the Gentiles trying to lord authority over people. If you have authority, it's meant so that you can serve them. And there's this sense of, I dare you to challenge my superiority. I challenge you to dare my authority. The second problem is the problem of inferiority. And that comes out of jealousy.
jealousy, that sense that we have of when we look at people and we see, you know, they're so gifted, they're so talented, they're so good looking, they're so capable, I hate them. You know, have you ever heard that? Sometimes I've said it in, in joking to somebody, I said, you are so talented, I hate you. And in other words, it means that I recognize this person is so much more talented than, than I am or so much more capable than I am. And it's, I'm teasing. I'm not really saying I hate them, but in the world, that's what happens with people who struggle with inferiority complexes. They're jealous of other people and the giftings and the talents that God has given them. And one of the reasons we struggle with that is we hate to be ignored. We don't want to be looked over, and we're afraid that the people that are more talented or more gifted or, or have more money or have better education or maybe this or that, whatever the reason, we're afraid we're going to be ignored and looked over. And the problem comes because when Adam and Eve sinned, something cataclysmic, something universally changed that, it, that was inherited by all of us, and it's the problem of sin, and sin extracts the very life out of you and me. It's what's happening in our world today. You see, the very nature of sin makes you less. The very nature of sin makes you less real. The very nature of sin makes you less solid. The very nature of sin will make your relationships less. They will make your relationships less real. They will make your relationships less solid. It's the reason that Galatians 5.26 from the King James Version, I want to bring that out tonight, is, is because there's a word that's translated conceit. I want you to see how the King James translators translated this. And I think by explaining this word, I can help you to see what the apostle's getting at here and why sin is so consumptive of our lives. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. The reason for inferiority and superiority is caught up in this word from the King James Version, vainglory. The word veining, vain meaning a vacuum, the word glory, doxa, meaning weight. When we give glory to God, we're giving weight to God. We're saying God matters to us. When we give glory to one another, we're, we're saying you matter to us. Sunday morning here at Woodland Church, our church honored us on Pastor's Appreciation Day. They gave weight to us, and in a sense, they gave glory, but in giving glory to, uh, glory to us as pastors and thanking us as pastors, giving weight to our lives and our ministries, they were giving glory to God. Of course, as pastors, we don't take that glory to ourselves, for God says we should never touch His glory. It's a dangerous thing to touch the glory of God, but we in turn give that glory back to the Lord. When we sing the doxology here at our church, praise God from whom all blessings flow, we're saying, God, you matter to us. You're the source of everything beautiful in our lives. But deep inside every single one of us, we wonder, do I matter? Deep inside every one of us wonder, is there any weight to my life? Deep inside all of us wonder, you know, will my life have made any eternal difference? 
I think it's one of the reasons that Pastor Rick Warren's excellent book, The Purpose Driven Life, sold so many copies and people are still buying it and reading today because we want to know that our lives have purpose, they have weight, they have matter. You are created in the image of God. When you give your heart to Christ, Christ washes away our sins. He takes away our sins. And suddenly we know how much we matter to God. We know how much we matter to one another in the church. And then we realize how much lost people matter to God. And it brings a weightiness to our life. Not a heaviness, but a weightiness to our life. That this one life that you and I live, it really, really matters. So if I haven't been born again, then what I do is I struggle with either superiority, trying to prove I'm better than everybody else, or I struggle with inferiority, envying everybody else for their gifts or their talents. And sometimes, sad to say, even Christians struggle with these things because Paul is not writing to the lost people. He's writing to a church in Galatia. And he's saying to them, stop challenging one another. Stop provoking. Stop envying one another. Look at what he says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. In other words, don't use your freedom to become more self-centered. Sin will make you self-centered. Now, there's a big difference between self-centeredness and self-awareness. I'm aware of myself. I'm aware of my strengths. I'm aware of my weaknesses. I'm aware of my, my abilities and the abilities that I don't possess. I'm aware tonight that I matter to God, that I matter to my wife and my children and grandchildren, my friends. I'm aware that I matter to this congregation. I'm also aware tonight that I am loved by God. I'm loved by my family. I'm loved by my neighbors. I'm loved by this church, and I love this church. I know that. And it gives me such freedom and joy in being able to live. And I want you to know that joy as well tonight, that your life matters and you are loved. So he tells us, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You can be a servant when you know that you're loved. You can serve without being drafted. You can be served without being beat. You can be served without being coerced. You serve because that's what Christ does. That's what God, it's just God's nature. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so this is a very important biblical understanding. But let me show you what Paul is warning the church. Remember what I said, sin will consume you? But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. You see, sin in a church, sin in a nation, sin in politics, sin in your business, sin in a marriage, sin in a family will cause us to devour one another. We'll try to destroy each other. Recently, I had a former police officer come into my office and tell me, and I don't cry very easily. I wish I do. I, I envy Pastor Rick, who was up here just a few minutes ago, because tears come so easily to his eyes. And I've learned so much about compassion and mercy to other people from, from Pastor Rick Sutherland. But this police officer came into my office, and he said, Pastor, it's amazing. Suicides have gone up. He said, but another problem is happening is spousal abuse 
Couples are not used to spending this much time together, and spousal abuse has gone up, and there have been beatings, and I just began, I couldn't help it. The tears just came up in my eyes. Because how is it that two people who met each other, grew to love one another, committed themselves to God in holy matrimony, suddenly can't stand to be in the same room with one another? How is it that they can't stand? I would love to have all this time that other people seem to say they have at home just to be home with my precious wife tonight because I love every moment that I get to spend with her or my children. But sin will cause you to devour and to destroy one another. It is the nature of sin. Don't miss this. God's nature is to give. The devil's nature is to steal, kill, and destroy or to consume. Listen, this is important. God's nature is to give. God's nature is always loving, so he's always giving. God's nature is to cause the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, to cause the earth to yield its crops, to cause the seas and the rivers to yield their fish. God is so good to us. Literally, this land flows with milk and honey because of the goodness and the amazing grace of God. God just gives because he's God. But sin devours and consumes and destroys everything in its path. So the biblical understanding of love is to serve. That's what love does. Look with me if you would tonight. First of all, be generous with your love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. We love each other because he loved us first. This is how we live. This is how we live, we move, we breathe, we have our being. We do this because God first loved us. When I found out that God loved me, when I found out that God cared about me, when I found out that it wasn't just that I was a sinner, but that God loved me, suddenly love was birthed in my life, the daily blessings of my life, the relationships of my life, the very talents that we've been given, they all shout to us the glory of God. And get this. When you see the heavens and the earth and you see the order that's in them and you look up at the stars at night, I feel like Abraham sometimes. Occasionally, just occasionally, we get some very crystal clear nights here in Michigan and the, 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 the light pollution is not clouding the sky and I go outside and I stand in my front yard. I don't feel tiny and I don't feel small, but what I feel is this wonderful sense of God's presence and God's looking down upon me and he created the heavens and the earth and they declare the glory of God. And it witnesses to me of how much God loved us that he was willing to give his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But notice this, as I quote you that verse of scripture from John three sixteen, it's not what I have done, but it's what's been done for me that causes me to love God. It's not what I've done, it's what God has done for me. God loved me, just listen to me, God loved me despite all the horrible things I did in my life. And God loves you despite all the horrible things you may have done. You may say to me, there's no way, as many people have said, there's no way God could love me. If you knew what I had done, if you knew my past, God loves us despite everything that we have done. It's God's nature to love. It's sin's nature to consume and to eat away the very life out of us. Dennis the Menace was a great television show back in the 50s and the early 60s. And 
there's been movies about it and cartoons. And, of course, with my name being Dennis, I have gotten more Dennis the Menace gifts over the year. And I will never forget when one of our deacons back in Georgia, where I used to pastor at, came to me and said, you're no longer Dennis the Menace, but you're Dennis the Minister. But Dennis the Menace and Mr. Wilson were sitting on the sofa, and they were eating cookies that Mrs. Wilson had made for them. And let me read you what Dennis said. Dennis says to to Mr. Wilson, he says, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. God has given me my relationships. God has given me my gifts and talents. He's given you everything that he's given you, not because you're good, but because God is good. There's a song that we don't sing anymore that I wish we did, and I probably am just going to resurrect it. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good to me. Listen, the reason you've been blessed is because God is good. So everything we do should be motivated by love for God. Secondly, be, be generous tonight with your forgiveness. If God is generous, you should love, but you should forgive. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Friends, I want to tell you something. I have had some painful experiences of hurt, betrayal, things that intentionally and unintentionally were done. I've had times where I thought, Lord, I can't forgive anymore. Lord, I don't have anything else left to give. On our family farm back in South Georgia, I watched my dad and my uncles pull a bucket out of the well that never ran. That's how we got our water. We pulled it out of the ground, out of a well. And as they would be pulling this bucket up, it would be leaking because the bucket had some holes in it. And I don't know why they never replaced the bucket, but they would pour it out and put it, bring it in another pail and bring it into the house. And I remember watching that bucket, and I remember saying to the Lord one time, I am just like that bucket, Lord. I'm leaking all over the place. But one of the things that I have found as I've grown older And maybe if you're a new Christian, or maybe if this is all new to you, you may struggle with this for a little bit. You know, when we were pulling that bucket away from the well, emptying it into another pail, that bucket was continually leaking. And that's kind of the way your your feelings of forgiveness go. God forgives you, and you feel like you can forgive others, but there's going to be hurt, even if you're a Christian. There's hurt, there's anger, there's pain in America tonight. We may not know for a month. You know, I hope it's not that long. And somebody is not going to be happy either way. But we're going to have to learn to forgive, and we're going to have to learn to walk together. And in your marriage, you're going to have to learn to forgive. And with your children, you're going to have to learn to forgive. Our sin will devour you. You will devour one another. And so as you forgive, it just seems that God has a way of mending the holes in my life. I can forgive so much better than what I used to could forgive. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that means that I'm exempt from ever having challenges again with forgiveness. But I can tell you this, I'm not where I was at 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Only God's bucket is full of grace and only God's bucket is full of love. Let me, let me just share with you a little story that I thought was so cute. A, little, a mother took her little boy out to a restaurant for a treat and... She asked him to say the blessing, so he bowed his head, and he says, God, I thank you so much for this good food that you have given to us, but I will thank you even more if Mother gets me an ice cream sundae for dessert. Amen. And, of course, people in the restaurant heard it, and they started laughing. I could imagine one of our children doing that. 
And this lady sitting in the next booth, she quipped, you know, kind of agitated, like, that's what's wrong with our world today. Children aren't grateful anymore. They always want more. And the little boy began to cry. And he says, Mama, did I make God mad? And she was trying to explain to him, no, God wasn't mad at him. When this elderly man walked over to the little boy and said to him, Son, God's not mad with you. He says, God's pleased with you. Everybody needs ice cream. And he said it out loud because ice cream is good for the soul. Well, anyway, at the end of the meal, his mother ordered him an ice cream sundae. And he sat there and he looked at it. And then he got up and he went over and he took it to this cranky lady who said what she did. And he set it down in front of her and he says, I want to give you my ice cream sundae. It's good for the soul and my soul is all good. You see, that's what forgiveness does in our lives. Our soul is good and we're able to give to others. Be generous with your giving. Pastor Rick came to you tonight and he asked you to be faithful with your tithes and your offerings. But remember the poor. Remember those around you. It's one of the things that I love about tithing. Because tithing fulfills, tithing fulfills what God's word says. We put God first in our finances. But there is no pressure on anybody to give more than what God has blessed them with. So the man, listen, so the man who only makes $20,000 a year, he gives just as much as he's tithing as the man who ties off for $200,000 a year. You see, that's what I love about the tithe. It was, it was just, and it gave everybody a chance to give, and the reciprocating principle is God pours back in our lives. He pours back love in our life. He pours back forgiveness in our life. Now he pours back into our lives financial resources. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 11 and verse 12, and I'll just read a part of it here. Paul has talked about the love of Christ and how Christ came and died for our sins. And he says, now you give in proportion to what you have. What you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly or joyfully and give according to what you have and what you don't have. And then be generous with your kindness. The loving kindness of God is throughout the scriptures. God is always so good. And look what Paul writes to young Pastor Titus. And I take these, these words so seriously and so literally. I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. Look at that. Devote yourselves to doing good. And in the rest of the context of that verse, he says, don't waste your time with arguments. Don't waste your time in endless speculation. They're useless and they're a waste of time. Samuel Johnson once said that kindness is in our power even when fondness is not. What was he saying? I can be kind to my enemies even if I'm not fond of them. I can be kind to people even when I don't feel like it. And we're called to be generous with our kindness. Well, I need to wrap this up because I want to respect your time. The world's understanding of love is so different than God's understanding of love. And church, and I'm not just speaking to Woodland, I'm speaking to whoever is listening. I hope you're a passionate follower of Christ. Let's don't let the spirit of the age, let's don't let the spirit of the politicians Let's don't let the spirit of angry people infect our congregations. The Bible says we will be known by our love. We will be known that we are passionate followers of Christ by our love for one another. And let's love lost people as well. Because the world's understanding of love is to eat or to devour. That's what lust does. 
And if you Google the top songs, whether they're pop songs or they're country songs, the songs are not about commitment. The songs are not about godliness. The songs, and, and, and I'm not against music that is not religious music. I enjoy all good music. But the world's, the world's definition of love is to consume. What can you do for me? What have you done for me? How do you make my life better? One of the things when I'm doing premarital counseling that I'm driving at and looking at is do these two people really love each other? Or is this person marrying this person because they're going to make them feel better about themselves or they feel like they will be complete? You are complete in Christ. Two complete people make a wonderful couple in Christ. Two happy people in Christ make a wonderful couple in Christ. It's how we come to oneness. I love from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. I want you to listen to this because Worm, Wormwood is, is the nephew of a, of a chief demon. And this demon, this is an imaginary story that, that Lewis is writing from biblical principles. And this is what the uncle says to his nephew. He says, to us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our selfhood at its expense. We want the cattle, speaking of human beings, we want the cattle who can finally become food. He, God, wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. Friends, I want you to know tonight the devil is a defeated devil, and he is seeking through his minions and through sin to suck the very life out of your soul tonight, out of the soul and the heart of a nation, out of the soul and the heart of a church, if he can, because he has no life in himself. But Christ, who is overflowing in love and overflowing in grace and overflowing in goodness and kindness and generosity, he pours out into our lives, and therefore we can pour out into the lives of others. It's why the Apostle Paul, in these passages of Scripture, then he says, Live by and follow the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means if you live in the Spirit, you're going to live like Jesus Christ. You may not live it perfectly. I may not live it perfectly. And let's don't be disappointed with God when one of us doesn't live it out perfectly. But let's learn to forgive. Let's be gracious. Let's be kind. Let's be good. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to animate our lives. Let's ask Him to give us new desires. Let's ask Him to give us discernment and wisdom for the times that we're living in. And let's be agents of God's love and healing in our angry and broken world tonight. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I love you so much. I am so grateful for the time that you gave me tonight. I miss our being able to gather here on Wednesday evenings. But I want you to know you matter. I'm praying for you every day. And I want you to bow your heads and agree with me in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace, your goodness, and your kindness to us. Thank you, Jesus, that no weapon formed against us can prosper. And I pray that right now, Lord, there may be people at home that are watching. They're angry about the election outcome last night. <clears throat> we don't know where it's at. Lord, help us to realize we can do more for our nation right now by getting on our knees and praying. We can do more for the welfare of our nation by getting on our faces before you. And Lord, repenting of our sins and seeking your face, we trust you that your will is going to be done. Just as Becky and I shared yesterday in our daily prayer update, 
God, you raise up leaders, you take down leaders. I don't know who's won this election. And Lord, I'm not really worried about the future because I know that you are in control and your plan is going to be done. Your will is going to be done. So bless everyone that's listening tonight. Help them to go back through, re-listen to this message, look at the scriptures, Father, study them, pray over them, and give us all a peaceful and restful night, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, join Becky and I tomorrow for our daily prayer update on Facebook. Join us on Saturday evening for our prayer service at 6 o'clock. And then I can't wait to see you here on Sunday morning at Woodland Church. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, and the Lord make his gracious favor shine upon you in all you do.